Hey there, and welcome to the United Church Podcast. We are a new church here in Seattle committed to an ethic of love. We are striving to be a people united, united with Jesus, each other, ourselves, and the world around us. We hope you enjoyed this week's homily. That make a difference in our life, that, that kind of change the way in which we see the world around us. There are favorite movies, of course. You know, everybody has their litany of favorite movies, and I feel like for a lot of people, Shawshank Redemption makes it up pretty high on that list. It's, it's not just a favorite movie, but it's a movie that anytime it's on TBS, it's being watched, right? You, you flip through the channels, and you're like, oh, Shawshank Redemption, you just stop right there, right? There are other favorite movies, especially around the holidays, Elf, Home Alone, It's a Wonderful Life. Miracle on 34th Street, the favorite sorts of holiday movies that come around as well. In fact, I have friends that have said that It's a Wonderful Life is not only their favorite movie, but there are scenes within that that have actually marked them, that have changed the way in which they have seen the world, the way in which they then live as a result of that movie. Their movie has actually been so powerful. The cinematic power of the film and of the, of the script of the actors, the emotion that is portrayed has actually changed the way that they see the world around them. It's a wonderful life. I have such a movie, and I'm, I'm sure some of you do as well. So what I want you to do is turn to somebody around you and just tell them what your favorite movie is and why. Good luck. So it's perhaps not my favorite movie, but it's a movie that I've enjoyed, that I've watched umpteen million times over and over again, especially as it gets replayed on TV. But it's typically on Netflix, and I'll go to it a time or two just to kind of watch it. And I, I hardly ever watch the whole movie anymore. It's, it's one of those movies that you just kind of watch a little bit here and there. But it's Goodwill Hunting, right? With, with Matt Damon and Robin Williams, there's this scene in that movie that has marked me, that, that has made a profound impact upon my life. And, and it's probably the climactic scene of the entire movie, the, the moment that will reduce anyone to tears and weeping silently and quietly even if you're in a room with others. You'll, you'll be the one that's like, oh, there's something in my contact, Ugh. right? Like if, if you don't want anybody to see, but it, it levels you. It's when Matt Damon or, or Will is in Robin Williams' office and they're sitting there and they're having another one of their counseling sessions. 
And they're sitting in the room and Robin Williams looks to Matt Damon and he just says, it's not your fault, Will. And he responds, I know. And he says it again, it's not your fault. He's like, I, I know. It's not your fault. And he repeats it over and over and over. And you can see Matt Damon just start to get angrier and angrier at the suggestion that this pain and this trauma that he has held on to his entire life is not his fault. The, the thing that has marked his identity, the thing that he had chosen to believe to be true about himself was being told was not true at all, that he can let go of that and receive something vastly different. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And over and over, as that phrase gets repeated to him, you see not only the anger rise, but you see brick by brick the wall that he had erected between his head and his heart come down. His, re his repeated phrase over and over, not only from Robin Williams was, it's not your fault, but Matt Damon says over and over, I know, I know. There is this wall that he had erected that separated his head from his heart, a protected entity that, that didn't allow the things that were up here, the things that he just knew to be true, to make it down inside of his heart. I know, I know. And with each and every phrase, with each and every repetition of it's not your fault, a big old axe hammer was taken, a sledgehammer was taken to that wall and knocking down brick by brick by brick, creating a path between the head and the heart. Matt Damon not only is hitting Robin Williams at this point, but then begins to like be embraced by him. And love is this outpouring in that moment as the wall comes tumbling down. There are no, there's no place for walls in our world. When I was a boy, I had no trouble believing that God loved me. No trouble at all. It was just the simplest thing in the world to believe that, oh, yes. God loves me. And it wasn't just a knowing thing. It was a heart thing, too. I, I had no trouble with this idea that, that God was love and that that love had come down into this world to rescue me, to pour out his love on me no matter what. It was an easy thing to believe. But as I grew older and I became more aware of my faults, as I became more aware of my failures, as I became more aware of my sins, I began to place brick by brick by brick between my head and my heart. Oh, I know. I know God loves me. But the separation that I had erected between my head and my heart was growing higher and higher, taller and taller, day by day by day by day, year by year by year, as I created a sense of protection between my faults, my failures, and my sins. 
I, I couldn't allow this God that supposedly loved me to break through that and prove otherwise. I was too scared that this God was going to reveal himself to say, oh, I love you, and then pull a magic trick, pull, pull a sleight of hand and say, just kidding, now that I'm really close, let's deal with all that you really are, because I don't really love this at all. And the pain and the wounds that would have emerged from that would have been completely irreparable. They would have been unredeemable in my life. Because I would have let in this God with all of this trust only to have been destroyed. I continued to build this, this wall, these bricks of separation. And while my head may have believed that God loved me, my heart said otherwise. God loves you. I know. God loves you. I know. God loves you. I know. Over and over and over, this has been the refrain in my life. God loves you. And I'm sure for many of us, that's been the refrain that we too have heard. God loves you. I know. Yeah, great. But it's not in such a way that it affects our heart because there's a wall of separation that we have built between the two to protect us from that love because we're uncertain of that love. We don't know the full implications of that love. We just want to protect our hearts. And there's nothing wrong with that inherently. That's, that's what we do. We are self-protected sorts of people that want to protect ourselves from these. But that's not the way in which God wants to reveal his love. God wants to show us something different. In the, uh, in the last century, I can say now, in the 20th century, <laughs> in the late 90s, there was a cardinal, uh, Cardinal Basil Hume, in London, England, and he said that it is easier, or it is harder for man, for many people to believe that God loves them than to believe that he exists. It's harder for many people to believe that God loves them than to believe that he exists. I have no trouble believing that God exists. Uh, I, have, I have no trouble with, with that empirically. I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, I've, I've come to that place in my life that I, sure, yeah, God exists. I, I've, I've seen things, and if, if I can't verifiably prove it, I, I at least still believe it. It's easier for me to believe that than it is for me still to believe that God loves me. That wall that has been erected of separation between the head and the heart is still strong in my life. It's still strong right there. It, it's still built and fortified and just waiting to be knocked down. But yet, that's the struggle. That's the work that we're engaged in, is how do we tear down that wall? How, how do we lower our defenses and allow God to truly love us, to truly love who we are? 
I think a lot of it has to do with our own understanding of self, of who we are, of, of reworking our own identity, of being lovable people, of being someone that is worthy of love, of being someone that is made to be loved, of being someone that is lovable. We live with ourselves day in and day out. We live with our faults. We live with our failures. We live with our sins. And oftentimes we use those things to place a burden of shame and of guilt heavy upon our shoulders, heavy upon our head. And we see those things for what they are and we feel like we can hide from God. We can hide those things from him and, and just let him not see them. That, that somehow we can hide that and tuck it away in the darkness. He will never see those things. And therefore, what we have here is what is lovable. What we have here is what is left. What we have here is what God can truly love. And all of that other stuff we can, we can toss aside. We can set it aside. Augustine said that in loving me, speaking of God, in loving me, you made me lovable. In loving me, you made me lovable. I struggle with that. I struggle with that concept that, that God still loves us, but yet throughout the pages of Scripture... Throughout all of his word is just this gigantic letter of love. Of God saying over and over and over again, I love you. I love you. I love you. And we respond, I know. I know. I know. But God doesn't change that refrain. God never adds any sort of, of conditions to that love. It's, it's constantly just, I love you period. End of sentence, end of statement, end of thought. I love you. I love you. I love you. I know. I know. I know. But if we were to take that statement for what it's worth, to actually truly allow it to begin to break through the wall that we have erected between our head and our heart, to allow it to be much more than just head knowledge, but heart knowledge as well. If we allowed it to begin to slip through, to slide through the cracks of that wall and begin to tell us over and over that God loves us and that his loving of us made us lovable, that might change just a little bit about our identity, about who we see that we are in the eyes, in the heart of God. You see, Advent is a season of recognizing that we are loved. Advent is a season of recognizing not only that we are loved, but that God proved his love to us. It is the only season in the calendar where God literally incarnates himself here on earth, where he puts on flesh and comes into this world to say, I love you. It's the only season in the church calendar where God inserts himself into this world. Heaven came down and glory filled the earth. Heaven came down in the form of Jesus and here, 
breaks into the world, begins to peel back the layers and the curtain and says, look, I am here. I am with you now. And not only did he just come into the world, but he came in as a baby, which is really fascinating to me because it's like the most vulnerable of all creatures in the world. All eight pounds, six ounce, little baby Jesus in his golden fleece diaper, right? He, he is a baby, a baby in this world, being protected by nothing but his parents. That's the protection. God submits himself into this world and says, I am here to show you that I love you. Eberhard Arnold is a, a, a long, he was an author, a German author during uh, the World War II period. And he said, he was talking about Matthew chapter 2, and he said, The mysterious men from the Orient followed the star and discovered the place where the secret of love lay in the helplessness of a human baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, in the feeding trough of an animal. They discovered the place where God's love came down. That is the most important thing for all people to discover individually, in their own time and at their own hour, the place where God's love has broken through, and then to follow the star that has risen for them and to remain true to the light that has fallen into their hearts. Each of us must discover individually this time and place that God breaks through that wall that wall of separation between our head and our heart. That moment when we recognize and realize that God truly loves us. That we actually listen to that siren song of God saying, I love you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Over and over and over again until we finally relent and allow his warm embrace to hold us tight, to hold us close and allow that love to not only wash over us but flood through our mind and into our heart and recognize that we are a truly loved people. This is the season of Advent when the baby came, when Jesus came in flesh to show us over and over and over, I love you, I love you, I love you. These are the words of God, the words of a God of love. For God is love. God is love. Says the author of the epistle of John. God is is love. I think one of the greatest tragedies and perhaps most difficult things in the world for us is that it's hard for us to believe that because people reinforce otherwise for us. They reinforce that we're not a lovable people. They reinforce that we're not a lovable individual, a lovable human being. And, and so we see the way in which other people interact with us, or we see the way in which other people interact with each other. And we see that as a separation, a wall that is being built between people. And we take that as our image of God as well. This idea that we are an unlovable people, 
an unlovable human, an unlovable individual, is reinforced over and over and over. It's reinforced when you walk across the street and a car barrels down at you and then honks its horn at you for no apparent reason. Pedestrians have the right of way. Right? But no, you're in the wrong. You're the idiot. You're the fool. And I'm going to prove it to you. You see it at work when you make a small mistake. You make a small mistake that, that is inconsequential, but it hits someone on their wrong day. And they come down on you with the full force of their anger, the full force of their vitriol, the full force of their authority even, to show you that you are worthless in this role, that you are worthless in this job, that you just can't quite do it. It's reinforced by family members. It's reinforced by your neighbors because you're just a little too loud. Over and over, everywhere we go, we see this reinforcement of this unlovable nature that we have within us. But it's just not true. You are valuable. You carry within you the image of God. The very image of God that came down in the little baby Jesus. You carry that in you. You have a little baby Jesus within you. We all do. We have the image of Christ within us. And not only are we worthy of love from others, but we are worthy of love from God. And that love continues its refrain over and over and over again. I love you. I love you. I love you. God loves you. And you know it's true. But can you begin the work of allowing it to filter into your heart? Can you begin the work of breaking down the wall and allowing God to, to transform and change your heart with his love? To transform and change who you are because of his love. It's not an easy process. It's a lifelong journey. It's a lifelong endeavor. However, I can guarantee you that this is not a journey that you have to do alone. That's what we are for. That's what this community is for. That you'll never walk alone in this place. All you have to do is open yourself up to one another. All you have to do is open yourself up to God. And allow that to be true and real and good here in this place. I believe it. You'll never walk alone unless you truly choose to walk alone. But God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. Father, thank you for your love. And thank you for your your perpetual song of love over us. I, the words of Zechariah kind of um, creep into my mind at the moment. Quiet me with your songs of love. Rejoice over me with singing. 
Father, this morning, this afternoon, may we allow that love to flood over us, to experience it anew in our lives. Allow us to break down brick by brick the wall of separation that is not just a head knowledge, but it becomes a heart knowledge as well. Let us taste and see that you are good. Let us know of the goodness of your love in our lives now and forevermore. Amen. The little baby Jesus didn't stay a little baby Jesus. And over the course of his life, he grew and got larger. He developed into a young little boy. He then became an adolescent teenager, and he became a man, a a carpenter by trade, learning from his father, Joseph. At about the age of 30, he began his lifelong ministry, his his three-year ministry, the rest of his life, the ministry to proclaim the rule and reign of God on this earth. A proclamation that did not go over well with those that were in power, those that were in authority. And no matter how much Jesus proclaimed the love of God in this world, this love of God for everyone, especially the outcasts, especially those that had felt broken and worthless and had been cast aside by society. No matter how much he proclaimed this, the authorities got more and more upset. They grew more and more frustrated with him and his challenge to their systems that said, not everyone is worthy of love. Not everyone is worthy of of being seen as equal. And they took this Jesus, they, they, they set traps for him left and right, over and over and over. They set traps for him so that perhaps someday they would not only be able to capture him, but, but to completely diminish and destroy this message of love. One day they succeeded. They captured him. They put him on a trial, a, a kangaroo court of sorts. They then took him to Pilate and they put him on trial there. And Pilate said, I find no fault with this man. I don't even know what it is that you're talking about here. Why don't you just let somebody else go? How about, you can choose any other criminal that we have. Or you can either have Jesus free or any other criminal. And they said, give us Barabbas. We want to see Jesus crucified. And that's what they did. They took this little baby that grew into a man that did nothing but proclaim the love of the world and they attempted to squelch it, to kill it, to snuff it out. An attempt to snuff out love in this world. But on the night before Jesus was crucified, they gathered around a table and Jesus had this loaf of bread and this glass of wine that he showed as the full extent of his love, the willingness to show his love for us, a willingness to give of his entire self, that we not only may have life, but that we may see the love of God through his act of sacrifice. He grabbed the loaf and he ripped off a piece and he began to pass it around and he said to his friends, take and eat, for this is my body broken for you. An echo of words earlier that he had said to his friends that that there's no greater love than this, that a man would lay down his life 
for his friends. There is no greater love than this. He then grabbed the glass of the wine and he passed it around and he said, take and drink for this is my blood, which was shed for you, a symbol of the covenant that I am making with you today. It is an everlasting covenant of love, an everlasting covenant of grace, an everlasting covenant that says no matter what you have done, no matter where you have come from, no matter what terrible, awful, horrible, no good things you have ever done in your life, grace is here. My love will never, ever wane. I poured out every last drop of my blood for you. This is my love. This is the love of God. And so this morning at our table, we do this every week to remember the love of God, the full extent to which he would go for us that we may experience that love in the depths of our heart. I know it's easy to walk up to the communion table and to participate and let it be an act of our head. But this morning, maybe the story of Christ, the story of this Jesus who came into this world knowing that it was about death for him, to prove the full extent of his love to us. Maybe this morning, this story of Christ can begin to break through that wall just a little bit more. And we can begin to taste just a little bit of a drop of that love upon our hearts. So this morning, when you're ready, come and rip off a chunk of the bread, dip it in the juice and return back to your seats. And then together as a, as a church, as a family, as a community, we'll participate in this act of remembrance, this act of love together. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. If you're in Seattle, we'd love for you to join us on Sundays at noon at 1316 Third Avenue West in Queen Anne. If you'd like to support our efforts, please visit unitedchurch.gives to partner with us financially. Be in peace and God bless.